All right, if you want to uh, open your Bibles, where we're going to be eventually uh, is in Matthew 24. That is page 830 if you're using the Pew Bible, as I am. Um, this is the last sermon in our Random Thoughts About Jesus series. Next week, we're going to kick off Restoration. And so we'll be talking a little bit about our core beliefs, where we come from, who we are, uh, what makes us tick as, as a church and as a movement. I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about that uh, and being able to share some of those things with you. I think you'll find it very, very interesting. And so um, that's kind of what's going on. This morning, I thought that it would be kind of uh, uh, disappointing or, or, or wrong or something, I guess, to not talk about the second coming of Jesus, like ending on the second coming of Jesus. Um, so anybody watch the, the uh, eclipse? Anybody see the eclipse? Here is a picture. Uh, Chris and Emma are down there. They were in the, the path of totality, and Chris took this picture, and he sent it to me. Was anyone else, like, just deeply disappointed in the eclipse? Oh, here you were. I was deeply disappointed because how is it possible that we can have such... I thought the eclipse itself was really cool, but how can you have such a massive celestial event? Like, literally the sun is going to be blotted out from the sky and not one end of the world prediction. Not one! How is that possible? John Hagee didn't write a book. There was nothing on the news. No no people sold anything and went to a mountain and and waited for Jesus. And there's nothing at all. I feel like it's just irresponsible. Somebody could have been making some money on this. And if no one's going to do it, I would have liked to know because, you know, I can make money too. But the, 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 uh, the eclipse thing made me think about, was making me think about the second coming because I was kind of anticipating. I actually was, actually was honestly disappointed that no one did that because it just seems like it's part and parcel of the whole, of the whole thing. And so today, anyway, I wanted to talk about uh, the second coming of Jesus. I know there's a lot of confusion about that and a lot of different perspectives about that. And so I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to tackle that uh, this morning. There are four major texts where Jesus himself talks about the second coming. Now, they're sprinkled throughout all of the Gospels, you know, all the way through. Jesus has references to judgment. He has references to uh, the kingdom of God. He has references to his death and resurrection. He has references to his second coming throughout. But there are four major blocks of text, and we're not going to look at all of them, but I want to put them up here so you can see it. So the first one is Matthew 24 and 25. We call this the Olivet Discourse. Because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives discoursing, right? And so the Olivet Discourse makes sense. Uh, Mark 13, we call this, or it's frequently called the Little Apocalypse. When I say apocalypse, what do you think of? Zombies, yes. <laughs> Who, was, that, was that you, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. We, we, think, of the end of, we think of something like tra- something awful, something traumatic, the end of the world, zombies, monsters, something like that. Uh, apocalypse is just a, a, a word that means to unveil or to reveal something. The Latin term uh, for uh, revelation was originally the apocalypse of John, the unveiling of John. John is unveiling or writing down what's going to happen. And so this is a very similar to the section in Matthew, only it is shorter, so little, right? Good, some people are with me. And it is Jesus unveiling you know, truths about his second coming, therefore, apocalypse, little apocalypse. Very good. All right, and so there's a, um, a Luke text, Luke 21. Uh, we don't have anything cool to call that. It's just, it's Luke 21. So, 
Um, but it's very similar. These all, all are very similar in their tone. They have similar phrases, similar statements, similar things. And then we have John 14 through 16, which is really not like any of the other ones at all. So it's just kind of John is talking more about the Holy Spirit, but this is kind of the section where he mentions most about his second coming. I will go to prepare a place for you. you know, you've heard that before. So these are the, all the major texts that Jesus is talking about. And it's probably no surprise to you, you know, you know if you, even if you're not sort of immersed in Christian culture, even if you didn't grow up in the church, you've heard of Left Behind, or you've heard of 666, or you've heard of, right, you've heard of these things. But what we do is, we, people do is they take a little bit of these, and they take a little bit of Revelation, which is the last book in your Bible, and Revelation is a, a genre called apocalyptic literature. And they take a little bit of the, the Old Testament, Daniel and Ezekiel, which are also apocalyptic literature. And you kind of take it and you put it into a blender or you shake it up real good. And you have one of two things, right? You have a very interesting system that causes division in churches often. Or you have fun with conspiracy theories. And I'm a fun with conspiracy theories guy. I love them all. To, to, to prove the point, uh, my Google News feed not too long ago you, you know, just throws out things that you're interested in. And apparently Google knows me very well because suddenly it threw out the Why the Earth is Flat, a YouTube video. And I was like, really? <laughs> All right, let's do it. I'm game. Like, you know, hey. Uh, I don't really think the world is flat, just in case you. But I, I'm, in, I'm interested. I'm immediately interested. And so one of the things that we have to do as we talk about Jesus' second coming, is we have to differentiate. We have to differentiate between essentials and non-essentials. This is a language that our church movement uses and has used traditionally and frequently. There are essentials, things that everyone could kind of agree on, and there are non-essentials that, that, that are things that we can disagree about. And one of the things, if you ever go and you read carefully Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, is you will be probably confused probably confused because jesus in these texts jumps back and forth in time he seems to be talking about things that are close to happening he seems to be talking about things that are far away that are happening and sometimes he's he sort of seems to be talking about both it's very and so one of the things i want to sort of say right out of the gate is if you are confused about these things it's okay it's okay because our, our, our salvation and our faith in Jesus' own second coming is not depending on you figuring things out, right? Jesus is coming whether you know the day or not. We'll get to that in a bit. But, but th- this is not hinging on you in any way. And so one of the things that I love to do is to hear people talk about end time stuff. But one of the things that I never do is put the essentials in the non-essentials category and vice versa. You with me? Does that make sense? One of the things that I, I had a dear friend of mine in college, and we were talking, he, go, he belongs to a different denomination, and he wanted to show me his church because he's really involved in the youth ministry, and we prayed for each other. We were both involved in youth ministry. He took me to his church, and, and I picked up one of their, like, their pamphlets, you know, the church pamphlet. It was like, here's the things that we believe. And at the end of the things we believe, there was a very specific belief about the, the, uh, the end times, as we sometimes call it, Jesus' second coming, and how that all shake down. And I was like, well, I don't believe that. Does that mean I can't be a part of your church? And he's like, yeah, you couldn't be a part of our church. And I was like, bro, 
like, we love Jesus. Like, we both believe Christ is Lord. Like, I mean, like this is, and this is a prominent denomination. Millions and millions of people across the world belong to this denomination, but you have to believe. So we are in a different category of churches because we want to differentiate, and it's important we do so, between essentials and non-essentials. And non-essentials, we can talk and we can disagree. You know, what's, what's interesting, I got to go back to the end of the world pick, right? That's, one of the interesting things about us and, and the Bible is you're reading the Bible, I want you to realize that the common person who is hanging out with Jesus, the common Jew of those days who maybe never met Jesus at all, but just the common person who is Jewish in those days, they are in the exact same boat that you are this morning. They awaited the Messiah. They were all looking for the Messiah to come. Did you know that? Right? You're aware of this? And guess what they were doing? Arguing about what it would look like when he showed up. Did you know that? There were some people who said, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ, they all sort of mean the same thing. When he shows up, he is going to be like David. He is the Chuck Norris, and he's going to show up, and he's going to kick our enemies' butts, and we're going to be the greatest nation in the world. Make Israel great again, right? That's what he's going to do. And some people said, no, 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 you guys are nuts. You're nuts. He's going to be the righteous Holy high priest. Our, our temple system, our churches, we'll call them kind of anachronistically, our churches are corrupt. And, and the leadership is corrupt. Not here, right? But, and, 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 um, and so what the Messiah is going to do is he's going to show up and he's going to set the things right. He's going to make the temple holy again. He's going to make things right again religiously. And then when we're right with God, everything else will we'll get will fix itself. It'll be all right. And then other people said, you know what? You're nuts. We're going to have two messiahs and they're going to do the same things. And other people said, no, you're nuts. We're going to have one messiah and he's going to be both these things. And then there were people who were, I mean, you know, they didn't have YouTube back then, so that's all I've got. But there was lots of arguments about what the messiah would do and what the messiah would be about and when the messiah would come. And guess what? No one anticipated who? Jesus, right? Jesus. Remember Nicodemus? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, he's like the Bible professor. He's like the, he's like the Bible professor at the college. And, and Jesus is talking with him, and Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? And Jesus says, how can you be reading the Bible and not get what I'm saying to you? Because they didn't expect it. Jesus, he's with the disciples for three years. They're walking and talking. They see Jesus do miracles. They see all of these incredible things. And Philip at one point says to Jesus, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, what? Have you been with me this whole time and you didn't know that when you see me, you see the Father? In fact, there's this great little passage in John chapter 16 where Jesus is speaking to them. So this is, it was in, in the John 14 through 16 where Jesus is talking about his death, resurrection, and second coming. He says to them this, see if you can follow this just by listening. A little while and you will see me no more. And again, a little while you will see me. Got that? Some of the disciples, did you say no, Emery? <laughs> I think she did. She's an honest girl. Some of his disciples said to one another, what in the world is he saying to us? A little while and you will not see me and then a little while you will see me because I'm going away to the Father. And they kept saying to one another, what is he talking about? And then, lovely, they wrote it down so we could be confused as well, right? How kind of them. In other words, what I'm trying to get across to you is that one of the important things about prophecy is that you almost never recognize it until it's already happened. 
It's looking back. It's especially at the ascension. When Jesus rises to the seat of power, the right hand of the Father, that the disciples finally get it. Oh my goodness, he was the Messiah. Oh, that's what the Bible is talking about the whole time, right? It's after prophecy. And so all of this is to say that to be caught up in any kind of dissension, quarrel, or theory that you might hear or have about how it's all going to shake down, you're probably wrong, and so am I. And so what can we put that safely into? The category of non-essential. Oh, man, you guys are on it today. I love it. More this side than this side. That isn't to shame you, but just to say more this side than this side. Paul warns Timothy. He says, listen, you don't get caught up. You don't get caught up in arguments about genealogies and dissensions and issues like that. Why? Because your task is to proclaim the coming of Jesus. It's to proclaim the gospel. It's to proclaim salvation to the nations. And a huge piece of this is Jesus' second coming. But Jesus is pretty sure you're not going to get that one. Look at your Bibles. I told you to turn in, in, in Matthew chapter 24. So this is, this is after Jesus kind of said a lot of confusing things, which I do have my own opinions on. I have my own theories. If you want to talk about it, I'm happy to talk and even argue friendly about it. Um, but ultimately, these pieces that we're going to look at now are something that we can all grab a hold of, all put into the category of essentials, and it can change our life, I think, as well. So... Um, Here he says in verse, so this is Matthew 24, verse 36. But concerning the day and the hour, what do you you have written there? No one knows. No one knows. Not the angels. Some of you are looking at your Bible, good. But But only the Father. Jesus is, 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 is an interesting, um, is interesting uh, because he seems to have pretty interesting levels of knowledge. There are stories where Jesus is he's in a big group of people, and the Bible says he knew the, the, their thoughts. Like he's got some kind of intuition that he's able to grab hold of the thoughts that people are thinking in his presence and address those thoughts as they set themselves up in opposition to his teaching. In other places, Jesus says, don't you know that my words are not my words? They're, in fact, from the Father. Like, Jesus has this kind of direct line of communication from God the Father directly to declare to us. And yet, when it comes to the future, he says, I got nothing. I don't know. Which should tell you something intuitively, shouldn't it? Who else doesn't know? Take your pick, right? I mean, anyone, whatever new book comes out, whatever new preacher comes out, whatever new idea that comes in your head, whatever, you might say to yourself, hmm, that's interesting, maybe. But, but fundamentally, if Jesus doesn't know, I'm going to take great comfort that I don't need to. I don't need to either. Which tells me that Jesus has more to say. In fact, I love what he says in the, in the, John, in the John passage. You might remember this. Uh, John 14 kind of opens up where Jesus is about to die and he's kind of shared this and so the, the mood is really tense and really heavy. And, and he says to the disciples, sort of reading the mood, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Be troubled. Why shouldn't you be troubled? Because you should believe in God. You trust in God. Trust also in me. Right? 
In my Father's house there's many rooms. I am going to prepare that place for you that where I am, there you may also be. Which gives us great hope. It gave Paul great hope. It gave the early Christians great hope as they were fed to lions, as they were burned, as they were crucified, as they suffered greatly for their faith to proclaim the gospel that whatever the world would do to them, it would have no bearing on the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus when he comes to right all things. And so we can have great confidence and immense hope. I don't know what you're going through today. But the message from Jesus to his disciples rings through the ages to you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. That's where it all goes. Trusting in God. Not in our knowledge. Not in our ability to figure things out. And sometimes we feel that way. Like I've got to have everything lined up and figured out. No. No. You need to trust in God. And to trust in Jesus. And that will see you through. Not to downplay the importance of Bible knowledge, but sometimes we get lost in this in our kind of information age. I need to know more, need to know more, need to know more. I think Christians would do well to learn how to trust more. To learn how to trust more. Maybe turn off the news and trust more. I didn't anticipate an amen for that, but that <laughs> apparently there's nothing good on the news today. Shocking. Good, so Matthew, let's look at Matthew. What can we know? What can we be confident about? What can we put in the category of essentials? Jesus tells three little, little parables, little, little, little illustrations, if you want. He says, concerning the day, no one knows. We got that in verse 36. Look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, remember that story, Noah? Everybody with me? Noah? Flood, big flood? Very good, yes. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Son of Man is a way that Jesus refers to himself. It's a kind of a kingly term. So in his conquering, in his coming, in his conquest, as he brings his rule onto the earth, we might also call that the kingdom of God. When the kingdom comes, it'll be like this, like the days in Noah. For as in the days before the flood, verse 39, they were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now notice the Jewish doublets. They often would have set things, they would have doublets there. And so you have eating and drinking. You have marrying and being given in marriage. Are these things bad? No. What's interesting is if you read the Noah story in Genesis chapter 6, it's sin that brings the flood. It's this violence that is in the heart of man that God despises. And so this brings about God's righteous judgment upon the earth where he, he washes, it, washes it clean, as it were. Jesus doesn't reference that. He doesn't reference sin. He says they're enjoying life. They're eating. They're drinking. They're, they're enjoying life. They're being married and being given in marriage. They're enjoying life. They're just living. And they're not paying any attention to anything other than just living and being a part of the, the joys of life. And just as, in they, just as they were doing in those days, living in the joys of life, so it will be with us. God will come and wash away the wicked. He gives us a second piece. So this is the second um, illustration here, the second parable. Then two men will be in the field... One will be taken, one will be left, verse 41. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. 
This is, a, uh, this is referencing, again, you see the doublets. You got the two, and you got the men and women, too. So there, there are two people in the field, two people at the millstone. You have the men, you have the women. You got that doublet going on. Um, and so what you have here is you have men doing men's work, quote-unquote, and women doing women's work, quote-unquote. Feminists, don't throw Bibles at me, okay? It's just... Jesus is just making an illustration. Generally speaking, the men were in the field and the women, they would harvest the grain, right? They'd bring the grain in. Women would grind the grain down into flour and make bread or whatever out of it. They had those sort of stark, stark roles. So Jesus is saying, the previous one, the one with Noah, they're, they're just enjoying life and the wicked are taken away. And this one, they're, at, they're doing their jobs. They're just working. Like you're just, Whatever it is you do, you're, just, you're doing it. You're working, you're making food, you're taking care of your family, whether you're selling something somewhere and taking care of your kids. Whatever it is, it's just happening. And then one is taken and one is left. Now, this is, this is a text that is much loved by, um, you might call them rapture theorists, or if you want to be fancy, premillennial dispensationists, uh, left behind, these kinds of things. They often apply this verse, and of course, incorrectly. Because here, who is taken... The wicked, right? The wicked are the ones who are washed away, not the good taken up in some kind of rapture event, some kind of secret second coming of Jesus that he's then going to come a third time. Here, Jesus is very clear. Just as in this motif of Noah where the wicked are swept away, so in the second coming, when you're just doing your work, you're not anticipating it, the wicked are swept away. One is taken, one is left, this division. Third, so here, so then he, he gives um, a, uh, verse 42, he gives a, a summary statement that is going to break the doublets and then lead us into his, his next illustration, his next parable. Therefore, stay awake. So they're enjoying life and they're working. Those are kind of your two categories of things, right? You're either at work or you're happy, <laughs> Right? You're at work or you're happy. And in this situation, Jesus says, either time, you're busy doing your thing. You're busy being happy. You're busy doing your work. And in either situation, Jesus is going to show up when you're not ready. Remember Y2K? Anybody get pumped about Y2K? Boy, I remember Y2K. And I remember I waited like a good 45 minutes before I sinned. Because I figured if Jesus is going to come back, he's not coming back at midnight. He's waiting until the party kicks up again. Then he's going to, gotcha, right? So I waited a while. Not that, I'm just kidding. I, I did think that, though. I didn't think that. Anyway, so therefore, stay awake. Be aware. Like, keep, 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 keep realizing this future event that's coming. Let it impact your life and shape what you do. For you do not know what day the Lord is coming. Here's your next parable. But know this, if the, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was going to come, he would have stayed awake. He wouldn't let his house be broken into Duh, right? If you know when the thief, like, the thief sends you a postcard and says, I'll be there at 2.30, you might be awake with the lights on. Maybe your cell phone's got 911 dial-up. You wouldn't just let that happen because you're not an idiot, right? Jesus is assuming this. I'm talking to people who are reasonable. You understand. You can understand the things that I'm saying to you. And I'm saying to you, you don't know when the judgment's going to happen. And so what should you do? Be awake. Be aware of this. Because this, this, therefore, verse uh, 44, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. Which should change our life. It should shape how we live. As I talked about last week, we should be living in light of eternity. 
Eternity should be on our minds. Not necessarily that we're always staring at the clouds waiting for Jesus to come and we let everything else fall apart around us, but that we have an eye to the future, recognizing that what we are pouring into is not visible now all the time. Sometimes it is, but oftentimes it isn't. A Christian who goes to the cross, a Christian who is beheaded by ISIS in the Middle East today, they see persecution and death. And God promises to this person vindication. Vindication. You will be proved right. Your sacrifice is not in vain. I will come and I, the justifier of the just, will make things right. So have confidence. But don't you dare fall asleep. See, our danger here today is not persecution. It's not persecution. Anything that we experience is just nothing. Nothing at all. What we have is sleepy Christians. That's my danger. That's your danger. I've talked about this. been talking about this for several weeks. Satan doesn't have to swing you over to the black mass. He just has to move you a foot off course. Our problem is distraction. Our problem is that we're sleepy Christians, that we're eating and drinking. We're, we're being married and being given in marriage. Like we're working. We're doing all these things, but the eye to the future is not there. And because it's not there and our awareness of eternity is not fresh on our minds, we're missing so much. And I don't just mean like sin, like you're sinning or something like that, but we're missing the eternal things. The things that we could be investing in that are eternal rather than temporal. Pleasures that will have effects into the future, not just in the moment. Jesus brings us all to a wonderful application. Um, another parable. He gives actually is 25 is all parables, but I'm just going to tackle this last one here in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Remember we talked about this? This is who we are. We're the servants of God. That's who we are. What does a faithful and wise servant do? And I'll, I'll tell this parable. I'll put it my own spin on it. Andrew, have you ever been in charge of your brothers? Yeah? Who is the faithful? Stand up. Everybody needs to see. Everybody know Andrew? Stand up, Andrew. Stand up. Everybody can see you. You don't need to applaud for him. He's not that special. Sit down. Come on. He's just an illustration, guys. Come on. I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. You're great. Andrew's in charge. Who is the faithful and wise Andrew? Paul is carrier. Run to the store. We ran out of cheese. It's a serious problem. This is a serious problem. We're out of cheese, and we need to go get some cheese. Andrew, you're in charge of your brothers. What's your what's your favorite snack? Pudding cups. I don't know. What do you guys? What do you eat? What's the snack? Connor, what's your favorite snack, buddy? Smiles is not a snack. I can't do anything with that. Doritos? Doritos, okay. So Paul and Carrie take off. Who is the, and they say to Andrew, Andrew, we need you to give your brothers, here's the, here's the, the, the three, you have three packs of Doritos, and we need, you, you're going to give them to the Doritos, watch, watch the boys, make sure nothing happens. Who is the faithful and wise Andrew? The, when Paul and Carrie come home, what do they find? Boys with Doritos, right? Sitting there watching TV or at a table or whatever. Who is the unwise and unfaithful Andrew? The Andrew who says, well, I like my next door neighbor boys a lot better than I like my brothers, which is probably true. So I'm going to go next door and I'm going to give them the Doritos and we're going to hang out. And Paul and Carrie come home and there are boys laying on the floor. Oh, no Doritos, right? Is that what you would do? No Doritos. You tattle immediately. I know you would. I've, 
been around these guys enough to know. Immediately, Paul and Carrie know this is an unfaithful Andrew, and so what do they do? Punish him. And good punishments, too, right? Fierce punishments. The faithful Andrew immediately receives what? Accolades. But more than accolades, what does he receive? More trust. This is why so frequently Jesus says, to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who has executed faithfully what God has called him to do, more responsibility, more placement in the kingdom, more more is given to this one, but to the one who is unfaithful, even what he has is stripped away because he can't be trusted. If you can't be trusted with a little bit, how can we possibly give Andrew more authority? We couldn't. So who is the faithful and wise servant in light of the fact that you know you will never know when Jesus is showing up on the scene? You will be caught off guard, and he's certainly coming back. What will the wise Christian do? The wise Christian will live their life in light of that eternity. They will live that life executing faithfully. Now, we could take this and we could make it sort of, well, look at this legal, you, you might be sitting here thinking, maybe you're not a Christian, what a legalistic, like, terrible guy. No, Andrew is going to feel amazing when Paul and Carrie come home and say, we are so proud of you. There's one thing I've learned by being a dad. I am so proud of you brings out joy in my daughter, like almost nothing else. God says to the faithful one, well done, Good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest, right? Enter into, because you have executed well what I have said for you to do. You have been about your father's business, just as I was about my father's business. Jesus said, and so, and so what do you have? Reward. Reward. And the joy of that is intense, so much so, again, uh, you, we always go back to, uh, Paul could say, you know, no matter what has happened to me, whether it's beatings, whether it's, it's stonings, whether it's being thrown in jail, whether it's hunger or famine, whatever it is I've been through, I've known the joy of the Lord because I have executed the task that God has given me, and therefore, joy is mine. And it isn't dependent upon the things around me. You can only live that life. You can only experience that joy if what you are doing is pouring into eternity. That's all. If you aren't pouring yourself into those things, you are experiencing the eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage, which is, which is good for the time, pleasurable for the time, but there is much more that God has in store for us. And so he calls us, Jesus gives us this, I want you to know what you don't know and I want you to know what you do know. And what you don't know is when I show up and what you do know is how to live because of it. Because you don't know, I want you to know how to live. This is Jesus speaking, but he's speaking in Revelation. This is like the last word, last page of your Bible. It's a great page. If you haven't looked at this page, you ought to go home and look at this page. This page, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. I am bringing my reward with me to repair, to repay each one for what he or she has done. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So blessed are those who have washed their robes 
so that they may have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter into the city by the gates, because outside are dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral people, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and who practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things to the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I am the bright and morning star. And so here is the invitation to us this morning. The spirit and the city say, come. Let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty, the one who is hungry for God, the one who has had enough of trifles and wants eternal things. Let this one who desires take of the water of life without price. That's the message to us this morning. That is the invitation that sits at every non-believer, every fallen Christian, and every believer here who has executed faithfully. Maybe you've been great this week and you've executed. Continue that because the song of the city, the song of the kingdom of God, the song of the Savior and the Spirit and the Father is the same. Come, come, and there is no price. Come. Let us then live in light of eternity. If you are in need of prayer, if you're wrestling with something, wrestling with the temptation, wrestling with something, you'll know break your relationship with God. We want to invite you to come forward and to speak with our elders. And Anything you say is in confidence and we, we will pray with you. We will walk with you. All of us are struggling with something. How can you be the faithful and wise servant this week? And if you need help in executing that in some particular way, we invite you to come forward and to meet with our elders this morning. Make your decision today. Let's stand and sing praises to our God and King, our coming God and King.